You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. The core message behind She Builds is hustle culture isn't working for women. And so it kind of adds to that context that you were sharing about male writers versus women who are taking on more caregiving responsibilities and really honoring our bandwidth and the seasons of lives, uh, season of life that we are in when we are creating and building. And what are some tools, strategies, practical business foundations that we need to weave in in a more holistic way that honors the the differences for women who have been socialized as female, identify as female. Uh, and I'm, any of these strategies could support men as well. But I needed to speak to a woman. That's who I mostly coach. I coach a few good men behind the scenes. But for me, I just had a strong pool. I read all the business books that were written by college-educated, Ivy League-educated, single white men who were not in partnerships, did not have children or elders that they were caregiving for. And so I felt a little bit blocked in reading those books. I implemented the strategies, but I also felt like I didn't see the proof of possibility so I was searching, like, who is also navigating marriage and raising a family and juggling building a business and several businesses? And how do we honor our time and our energy in a way that we have time for all the pieces without trying to strive for balance? That was Jada Selner, a best-selling author, business coach, and the host of the Lead with Love podcast. She joins me today to discuss her journey from the green smoothie girl, her words, not mine, to an anti-hustle, pro-sustainable leadership and business coach. This episode's a good one to listen to if you feel like you've outgrown what you've become known for and are struggling to walk the new road in front of you. Sometimes the world has to catch up to where you are and all too often you have to catch up with where you are. I'm Charlie Gilkey and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Jada, thanks so much for joining me on today's podcast. I'm excited about this conversation. You know, and we were talking about it, like, it's been a minute. Mm-hmm. It's been a minute since we've had a conversation. Sometime before the blip, um, we're not quite sure when that is, but it's wonderful to catch up with you in this one. Um, and I think, here's here's how far back it goes, so you can kind of date this. I think um, when we last touched in, you and Jen were still um, sort of in the final stages of your relationship with simple green, Mm -hmm. right. Um, or not your relationship of that way of being together is a better way of saying it. Yeah. So that might date things of of where that timestamp was. Yeah. So that was 2016. I co-founded simple green smoothies with my then business partner, Jen Hansard. And it was an interesting journey to kind of have the conscious uncoupling of not of even uncoupling from my business partner and friend, but also uncoupling my identity with a body of work that I built that we, you know, released a traditionally published book, a recipe book, um, really known for these big numbers of 400,000 followers on Instagram, 350,000 email subscribers. So I had a lot of identity hooks within that business. It also gave me a lot, gave me a, a financial living to provide for my family so that my husband could quit his job and build his own business Um in the music space. And so it was uh, that year, Charlie, was very intense. It was very vulnerable. It was very messy. It was really hard. I binge listened to Oprah like nobody's business during that, that time. I think everyone needs to find like who is their person when you are in the messy middle 
big transitions, who's your person that you need to have just on like playing on the background when you're in that dip on your couch, laying horizontal on the bed, whatever that is. Um, So I have specific interviews that I listen for Oprah when I'm in this season of questioning, doubt, insecurity. And I remember asking Jonathan Fields, our good friend and um, also a mentor of mine of, am I crazy for leaving this business, you know, and we had a second book deal on the table. And I just knew I didn't want to write the book about the thing I didn't want to be known for anymore. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. And the question is, can magic strike twice? And the answer is yes. And so that really connected to my soul in a way of when we are in this these transitions to make decisions of do do I stay? Do I go? Of really trusting ourselves that we have the capacity, the resilience, the support to rebuild, to reimagine, to reinvent something when we're walking away from something else. But that's the scariest thing that holds us into a pattern is feeling like I'm not, it's not going to get any better than this. And yet, your heart and your call, your soul is calling you in a new direction. I feel like that was a little long interlude of, of, of that transition of just where I was in that season of leaving. And obviously, I'm on the other side of that many years later. But uh, making that decision was really big. Yeah, that's a really, really big one. And shout out to Fields. Listeners know Fields and I rock a lot. And he'll drop a question like that on your heartbeat, <laughs> right? Um, and... You know, I wrote about this in Start Finishing is, is one of the hardest things to do in your best work is that to trade up, you have to let go, right? You had like, as you can't at a certain point when you know that the arc of your best work is going a different direction, you can't hang on to that previous one or you'll stay stuck in the confines of that previous shell of your work. And, you know, it's interesting because I've known you, I knew of Jada before I knew about Simple Green Smoothies. Mm. Right. And so I've always known as much as we don't like the word, we don't have a better word for it. I've always known thought leader Jada first Mm. and simple green smoothies separate. That's so interesting. Um, And so then when when all of that was sort of going, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. She does that thing. (laughs) But that thing was not in my brain what Jada was about just because of how I became associated with you. Right. right? That's so fascinating because uh, I wouldn't assume that. I just assumed everyone thinks I'm the green smoothie girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's an, in- so I always thought that was an interesting place for Jada, the thought leader to start because it's a product centric brand mm-hmm. that's not about the person. And so I knew because of our ecosystem um, you know, about the journey that you were on and things like that. And I was like, Jada knows I'm here if she wants to reach out. So I'm not going to be that guy. Right. Um, but I'm like, oh, I can see how from her perspective, finding who she already was, oh my was difficult. Charlie, why didn't you reach she out? Had a te- why didn't you pull me up? <laughs> Look, there are so many well-meaning dudes that just run out, right, doing stuff like that, that I don't want to be that guy. But it's, so I'm working on like, how do I not let my pack Sort of go like how do I how do I, I I'm stealing this who am I stealing this from right now <laughs> I think I'm stealing this from Andrea Owen like how do I allow them the dignity of their own journey mm. and what all that might entail without being like you know the, this is difficult because of the way that you framed it and there's a different framing mm. here. <laughs> But as a coach, I know to make sure I'm invited into those conversations because sometimes you're like, actually, me and Oprah, we got this, we got this like <laughs> on loop thing going on. I'm good for for folks like that. Yeah, you know? oh, I love it. <laughs> so that's an interesting place because there's several things going on. There's this big project of your book that's starting to emerge, but there's this to you to yourself a big identity shift. Mm-hmm. And it's an identity shift that's coupled or co- co-entangled with a major relational shift with your business partner. Yeah. Right? That's a lot going on. Um, so I'm curious if you can bring us into um, – by the way, shout out, Jen, if you're listening to this. I know Jen, too. Right? Um, 
into how those conversations evolved and how you supported each other in this, in this separation and rebuilding? Yeah. So I think for us, um, because we were so entangled, we actually needed a lot of space, like physical space, just to rebuild. Because I think the the vision, and this is like when we build a vision, we're not imagining it without the other person. And so we needed actually very like separation to rebuild on our own and find that that way, right? Because there's also the codependency in those spaces. So really to laser in on my own building journey. Um, and that way, I think that was what was best for us is create, creating that, that space so that we could build that autonomy on our own. And also knowing that I know for me that I have borrowed so many gifts of the complementary strengths and skill sets that she provided in that relationship that I was able to take into my own business. So it's it's the essence and those things and the learnings that we we build into our own skill set and, and tools uh, to pull from. All right. I love that. Um, and that sort of sets us up for this question, which I'm always interested about when it comes to a author who's got a sophomore or junior book or your second or third book, mm-hmm. right? What was different, interesting, and wonderful about this project compared to the last one? Yeah. So uh, I have a lot to say around this topic. And it was definitely completely different because it was a recipe book. I also wasn't excited to write about the health benefits of chia seeds. Like I wanted to outsource that book, like someone else write this, but Jen and I definitely like she held us to the fire, like we will write this book. Um, And then there was a lot of divide and conquer, right? Like you take these chapters, I'll take those chapters. We had a team, all of these things that were really helping us with recipe testing. But one thing that I noticed in that process was I had all of these books, like health-related books, smoothie books, juice books, kind of my my research library. I never read a single one. It was a like, mm-hmm. I should read these books. And something that I think that we should all pay attention to is looking at the books that you should read. And then what are the books that you actually do read? to really pay attention to where your natural curiosity and interest lies. So those are my should should reads. And I was like, I'm not interested in talking about like health and wellness in this form. But for me, the books were around like lifestyle, designing your life, how to intentional living and how do we, you know, work with time, management, energy, those things, not even marketing business books were that interesting to me. And then also team building. Like I, I, I love just like company culture and, and how do we honor the humans that are, are building the body of work that you're putting out into the world. So that was just a, a like, aha distinction for me in the separation of that. And then in writing, she builds, I absolutely loved this writing process. Like I was living Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic, like having a love affair, like go off to a hotel getaway. And like, I can't wait to write and play. And I I almost outsourced this book to like to a ghostwriter because I'm like, oh, I can now. Like there's no one saying, you know, my business partner is not saying we need to write this. And I talked to this editor and she was like, Jada, you can write. You just need help with the runway and the words and, and an editing partner and collaborator that can help you cut the words. And that once I really decided to lean in like I am going to write this book like I am going to write all these words all of these 80,000 plus words I will there was something that was so freeing and also confidence building in that process Uh, one other thing that I'll share around the creative process is a lot of feedback that we get of what is a real author is you sit down You know, you put your booty in the seat, you write the same time every day, you do X amount of words per day, and you just get the words on the page. That process, I tried it for several months, and I wasn't making any progress or momentum. So I learned that's not my creative orientation and style. I am an immersive creator, like lock all the doors, shut out all the people, and go hole myself up in a hotel room and write 
from, you know, rolling out in my pajamas onto the page. And so I would do these three to four night getaways where I didn't have the responsibility of my family and I could just write. And that is mm-hmm. my my creative writing process that I would do again and again is go away, remove myself from my day-to-day responsibilities and and write. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I I mean, and for most part, the studies do show that when you look at prolific writers, there is much more of a schedule and cadence that goes with them. But you also have to look at who's being studied and who's being reported and mm-hmm. who's doing all of that. Um, and many of those successful or prolific authors tend to be men. Yep. <laughs> right. In our society. Right. So what's different here right? Yes. when you think about that? So um, when you think about the fact that there are for many creative women, the um, day-to-day relationship, child, um, child care, elder care, kin keeping work that our society puts on women makes it yeah. damn near impossible for, for there to be enough of sort of the bandwidth for through line. And I say that as a man, right? Yeah. Um, but you just got to look at like, what does it take for someone to focus? What does it take for someone to really get immersive? Because when you write a book, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter. You are building a world. Yeah. With all of its details, with all of its different countries and voices and things like that. And that's hard to keep up with when you got a bunch of swirl around you that that is also stuff that matters to you, right? Um, and so I'm glad that that you found your way for what it's worth in case anyone's interested. Like I know as part of my book writing journey, it doesn't really start until I have really signed the deal and gotten my first check. I just know that yes. about myself now. I'm the same, right? Charlie. Like I, I tell my friends, I'm like, you're not going to start writing once the deal is accepted. There's some back and forth with the contracts, with the lawyers. And it's, I don't, yeah, I don't start writing till the check is cleared. And then I'm like, we're in a relationship now. It's done. That piece is done. And so then there's like three months of a lot of reading and looking out of the window and walking around and wondering what I'm going to write about, even though I just said mm-hmm. what I was going to write about. Yes. Um, and then there's like a quarter of like slower sort of and then type, 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 type writing. But then there's like two quarters later, it's just like, I'm on fire. I'm writing a bunch. Yeah. Right. And that's just what it is. And so I know not to fight that now. Right. I'm like, this is going to be the process. We'll get it done. We always get it done. But once you, you got to kind of go through the arena a few times to be like, oh, this is how I do it. And it mostly works. Yes. I wish it would be different, but there's wishing it would be different and just being like, this is how I roll. Yeah. And I, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast interview with um, Neil Gaiman and also saying that each book, each project brings a new creative process. So as, Mm -hmm. because I like to systemize and like, okay, this is my process. So let me remember this for the next book. So I'm curious for you in writing your next book, are there pieces or parts that might feel a little even different than the last book that you wrote? I don't know, you know? Yeah, well, this one felt a lot of different for a few reasons. Um, One, I have a co-writer slash ghost editor. Like she ends up doing a lot of, like I ended up talking a lot of it and then getting that transcribed and edited and us working that together. And that was just because of the year of 2022, trying to do this while launching an app at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> not turns out not to be a good plan as far as that. And so it was both necessary, but I've also loved the process. Turned out my first book, The Small Business Life Cycle, was done very similarly. So I was like, that works. So why am I fighting that? Right. Mm. Um and so this one, um, Team Habits is is the name of the book. Most most listeners know that by now. Um this one um was fundamentally different because it snuck up on me in the sense where like Three to six months after start finishing pub, this one was like, okay, it's time. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not time. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I need like another year. Like, what? Give me two, maybe. Right. And it was yeah. just like, I'm here. So you mentioned Liz Gilbert. It was one of those, like, okay, I know how this works. If I don't write the book, someone else someone is going else. to. And I'm, and I'm going to be pissy about it. Right. <laughs> so might as well go ahead and be like, all right, let's do this thing. Cause it turns out that. Um, and that's what's coming up from a lot of the reviews we're getting from Team Habits. I sent out the the manuscript for some alpha readers. It's like, oh, this is what Charlie was here to write. 
mm-hmm. right? Start finishing is great, but this was it. So it was then there the whole time. Start finishing needed to come out first for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And so just sort of trusting that process and being like, already, I haven't sat down and overthought this for a decade. Right. Let's see how that's going to go. Yeah. Uh, because a lot so- of our books can simmer. Like, you know, for years, the incubation period, that's, I was actually just writing about that, of how I met, you know, we have a shared literary agent, David Fugate, and Mm -hmm. he approached me in 2014 to write this book Mm -hmm. that is coming out in 2022. And then there was like, up, Simple Green Smoothies book needs to come out first. Then it was like 2018, where I was like, I'm ready. And then it took me two years to write the book proposal to think about writing the mm-hmm. book proposal, then to write the book proposal, get stuck writing it and wonder what's happening. And so that the creative process and really getting micro clear on what you want to say, because it's constantly changing and shifting as you write the book. So there's a different process in that like marketing, writing the marketing for the book and the proposal. And then 2021 was all about writing the book. 2022 was editing and then recording the audiobook and getting it out into the world. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it's all different process. I have a client that's that's on this journey. And so he's starting to think about all of that writing the proposal and everything like that. And I told him the thing that Donna, you probably hated when other people told you. And I was like, your one job right now, just focus on the overview. 1500 words of really nailing what this book is about. It's so hard though. That's where <laughs> I was stuck. I was like, marketing, got it. Like, this is easy. Mm-hmm. What's my platform? All the things. But that overview got me, Charlie. It. I was so stuck. I was so stuck. <laughs> But I, I, get I did it. get it done. I get it. So. I've, I've, been, I've been there too, right? Plenty of times that I'm like, if I if this doesn't come together, like I can do all this edge work, but you know it's like that dragon that's sitting there at some point. Like you don't get to go through <laughs> until you write that thing, right? And so, um, and it's, so and it's I the first him, part that they read. <laughs> exactly. Um, hard 1,500 <laughs> words to nail. Um, and so yeah. that that's that's the hard part because – well, why that's hard. Listeners, I know we're jumping down in there. Really, we're talking about the the creative brief for a book, but whatever you're whatever you're thinking about doing, there is some synopsis of what it's about that can be the hardest to write. Right? That's what the overview for in a yeah. book proposal is. Like this is the synopsis of what I'm writing about. Here's why it matters. Here's why I'm qualified to write it. Here's what's going to be in it. So if you're thinking about your own creative project, it's like, why does it matter? <laughs> Why are you uniquely suited mm-hmm. to do it? How is it going to play out? It feels like it takes the creative mystery out of it. And in a way it does, but it also gets you out of sort of the faff land of like, I can do all the things. I like, no, this is what it yeah. is mostly. Right. Yes. And yes. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> and then once you get into it, it'll change, but you have enough to get into it enough to see that it needs to change. Yeah. versus starting with, with really like 16 different books you might write, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? I understand. So, I understand. What about She Build and the through line and concept of it really stuck that made it sound like this is yours, <laughs> like it's not going anywhere and you can either do it now or regret not doing it? Yeah, you know, the core message behind She Builds is hustle culture isn't working for women. And so it kind of adds to that context that you were sharing about male writers versus women who are taking on more caregiving responsibilities and really honoring our bandwidth and the seasons of lives, uh, season of life that we are in when we are creating and building. And what are some tools, strategies, practical business foundations that we need to weave in in a more holistic way that honors the the differences for women who have been socialized as female, identify as female. Uh, and I'm, any of these strategies could support men as well. But I needed to speak to a woman. That's who I mostly coach. I coach a few good men behind the scenes. But for me, 
I just had a strong pool. I read all the business books that were written by college educated, Ivy League educated, single white men who were not in partnerships, did not have children or elders that they were caregiving for. And so I felt a little bit blocked in reading those books. I implemented the strategies, but I also felt like I didn't see the proof of possibility So I was searching, like, who is also navigating marriage and raising a family and juggling building a business and several businesses? And how do we honor our time and our energy in a way that we have time for all the pieces without trying to strive for balance? Because that's a mental that's mental fatigue and exhaustion in itself, just trying to be balanced. But it's what are those intentional trade-offs that you are willing to make and need to let go of and and that not right now, let me push that forward, you know, next year, next three years, and just learning a, a more natural, holistic rhythm and how we use our time and our energy when we are building something that matters. Um, so that was kind of the it, that way isn't working for us. It's exhausting. And we need to build in a new way and also be okay that some things we build differently. And that's okay. We, we're building with more love and intention and grace for ourselves and compassion. I love all of that. You know, hustle, hustle bro productivity and hustle bro entrepreneurship isn't working for a whole lot of people, right? Yep. Including men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it always resolves to like that, that brand always resolves to focusing on writing, stoicism, entrepreneurship, fitness, and probably minimalism. Like that's where mm-hmm. you, that's where that road always goes. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just what is, yeah. um, and it doesn't suit relational folks in a lot of ways. It doesn't mm-hmm. suit, um, just a lot of folks. And so I just wanted to call out that. Yeah, that's um, and what's also really fascinating being someone in a lot of the shared fields that we're in. It's like it's not like other perspectives aren't out there. Yeah. Um, but just when you look at the characteristics of our culture, it lauds the very things that are not working for a lot of us, mm-hmm. and that's what gets the traction on the internet. What gets traction becomes successful, and what becomes successful stays successful. Yeah. That's just the way it works, right? Um, and so we need a lot more voices out there, including yours, including mine, including a lot of people being like, maybe there's some other ways to think about this. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Getting chills for sure. And it's interesting because I, in 2018 is when I talked to my lit agent about the book and I, and I was already talking about like, women of color, diverse voices, experiences. And it's like, we don't have to like lead with that. But by 2020, they were like, yes, let's lead with that. And I was like, this is, this is the work that has always needed to be done. And Toni Morrison talks about, you know, if you want to write, if there's a book that you want to read and it hasn't been written, then you're the one that needs to write it. Yeah. Well, and that's the tricky thing. I know we've been talking about a lot of publishing inside baseball. Um, (laughs) And part of it is because of their unique roles as investors in a product, which is really what publishers are. They invest in a product that authors write, right? Authors are not the customer. You have to get used to that, not being the customer. Um, There's always this give and take to where the publisher's perspective and paradigms have to be caught up enough to see what's happening on the, on the real ground world, like in, in the real world to be able to say, Oh, that book is compelling. That idea is compelling. You're like, no shit. We've been talking about this 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) Just because you didn't see it in New York doesn't mean it hasn't been happening. Right. Um, And so as a timestamp, like if we went way, way back to like 2010, when I was thinking about, um, or actually we were shopping some books, the question I got from a lot of publishers at that time was like, but do entrepreneurs and small business owners actually read books? Like, I don't know that they there are enough buyers of that. That was the legit question. And I'm like, are I'm you shocked. kidding? Are you kidding me? All we do is invest in continuing <laughs> development and education. <laughs> Have you, you? Yeah. So that was the comment. But then it came around like, oh, there's actually a whole reading audience here. And I'm like, you think the four hour work week would have told you something about that? But right. anyways, right. <laughs> And so there's always this sort of thing. And so 
listeners, if you're always wondering why books are hitting two or three years after the catalytic cultural shifts that open the door for them, it's not because the, the change leaders weren't doing the work then that there weren't buyers at the scale in, in the publishing industry to buy those books. And when you think about how long it takes books to hit the shelves, usually the yeah. event that starts it, it's going to be two or three years before you'll see mm-hmm. the ripple in books. Um, so don't confuse the authors and their perspectives and paradigms with when their books come out. So I know a lot yeah. of inside baseball there, but to our point, it. like we've been talking for a long time about anti-hustle productivity. We've been talking about intentional productivity, conscious organizations. I can go through a long list of things that just didn't reach the cultural zeitgeist enough yeah. for it to be an idea that a publisher would invest in. Yeah. Um, so um, funny how you're, you're interested in it in 2018. Something happens in 2019 and 2020 <laughs> yes. that all of a sudden it's a hot idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your your rail against anti against anti hustle or against hustle productivity in business is not theoretical. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually had real impacts on you. So tell us what happened that made made that made it real that there were real problems with the paradigm. Yeah, well, I think there's this external definition of success, like you said, the things that are being glorified. So for me internally, I'm questioning if I'm a real entrepreneur, if I'm not working 60, 80 hours a week. I am comparing myself to metrics that don't actually align with my core values and what really matters to me. So there's this tension that happens and it's like, well, I want to be a real entrepreneur. I want to be successful so that I can provide a livelihood for my personal living and my family. And so we have to work our way against that. For me personally, um, one of my my seasons of burnout was actually writing my first book of Simple Green Smoothies, where I had been up for over 24 hours, like must get it in, must hit the deadline. And I was, you know, I rarely drink ca- caffeine, but I was like, must stay up and get it done. Watching my husband and my daughter walk out the, the door to go to school and I'm in my yoga pants and still trying to like edit and make my last minute edits on the manuscript. And so what we have to take back is our own way of caretaking for ourselves. So we are caregivers for others. We're caregiving in our own businesses, our teams, but also we need to turn that back into ourselves. So in writing this second book, I actually applied the anti-hustle lens and practice to ask for more time, to actually live and embody what I was teaching inside the book. And that's one of the things that I talk about is ask for more time extend the deadline. Burnout is not an option. We're not going to explode our whole bodies and well-being in order to put this product together. There has got to be a better way. And it means we've got to move production timeline. And people get pissed about it. They've, they're making decisions and all of that. But I'm just not going to build at the cost of my own well-being and relationships anymore. So it's being able to be an advocate advocate for yourself. Um, so that's a shift that I had to make of like, okay, so it's not going to come out on that date. Originally, this book was supposed to come out in May. And I was very, you know, ambitious and like, yes, I can do that. And then it was like, I need more time because I didn't think about Charlie, the the incubation where you're just thinking and not writing. I didn't think about the, I'm just going to be writing every day, but nothing's really clicking. You have to take into account that there's more phases than the actual just doing and producing. There is the thinking, the researching, the gathering, the collecting and processing. Absolutely. Um, my general rule on this is about every hour of actually writing, there's at least 10 hours of other stuff, right? Um, at least, but probably closer to 30 or 40 um, yeah. that, that creates that that hour of good writing, right? Yeah. Um, and it just comes out in the quarters and months and years before. Um, but to be frank, um, I was telling you, like I'm a week before submitting the revised manuscript for team habits. And I was frustrated with myself earlier today. And Angela's like, what's up? I was like, I don't know whether I squandered a writing morning or if I'm just working stuff out, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm probably working stuff out, 
but it feels like I squandered about two hours. Right, <laughs> right. right. You know what I'm talking about, but I think I know. all of us know what I talk know what that feels like, where you're just like kind of mad, but yeah. you might know there's something else going on, and you're trying to sit in that tension. Yeah. Right. Yes. In this moment, I'm okay with it because it's not like I can get the time back. It's already I've already eaten that time. Like I don't yeah. need to eat it twice. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, just move on. But in that moment, I was like, ah, I don't know which one it is. Does it matter in that moment? Like, yes. It's gone. I think that that compassion with ourselves, and also paying attention to the signals when we are stuck. Right. If like, oh, I'm not writing. I'm not doing the thing. Then. We need to invite ourselves to shift and do something else, whether it's take a nap, lay down on, you know, I like to lay on the floor and put my legs on the couch and just like surrender and just rest for 10 minutes and not do anything or walk or dance or, and just let it go. And I did this actually with my daughter the other day, she was working on an assignment, but she's like, I can't, I just can't type. Nothing's coming out of me. And I was like, you can't, you're done. You're done working on it today. Like close the laptop. And she was like, no, 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 wait, I could, I could write a little bit. I was like, nope, you need to rest and let's go bake. Let's do whatever crochet you can work on it tomorrow. Just reset your, it's not coming. It's not flowing in this moment. Close it. Give yourself permission that inner rebel that just wants to rest or play or think and dream, let her rest and then come and then set a time of when you'll come back to it again. Like I, I have time tomorrow. I'll do it again, again. I'll try again tomorrow. Exactly. I mean, baking in those types of things. And one a practice that I have around this too, and I'll sometimes have to catch it. I tell it it's like, you've been sitting there struggling at your desk for like however long you've been struggling. Um, odds are you're not going to solve the problem at the desk mm-hmm. that day in that time. And so I give myself one location move. Right. So this happened yesterday where I was like, I think, am I done with the writing today? And I'm like, I'm not sure. So I moved from the coffee shop to the the bar that was right behind it. Um, and I was like, if I get over there and I, nothing comes and I'm just done, then I'll walk home. Right. Yeah. You know, I went over there and got a cider and started writing. I'm like, actually that was pretty good writing. Okay. But had it went there and it's still been the same thing. I'm like, I'm done. Gone. Go I home. love, I love that. Giving yourself one location move and let's see if that energetic physical shift changes, moves anything. And if it doesn't, let it go. You're creating this positive constraint around, okay, let's see one more chance. You got one more chance. Muse, you want to move through me today or not? <laughs> yeah. Um, also Liz Gilbert, always in my head when I'm on a writing project of just go back in, just go back in. Right. And so that was the thing. It's like, I'll move, go back in. And if nothing comes up, then I'll go home. There's no going back in. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that That's my next move. Um, and so I think that's where, we're in a weird spot, both of us, right? Because um, a lot of our nonfiction can seem very prescriptive, right? Do this, do that, right? So on and so forth. And and we crave steps, like give me like the yeah. seven steps to do to get through this process, right? Um, and that works in an earlier stage of the creative journey. Um, but when you go and you become more practiced with your magic or with your mastery or whatever you want to call it, you'll realize actually the practice is learning how to be more agile and dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I know that ties into something you talk about. So let's talk about, your. you know, I'm a sucker for acronyms. So you've got fear <laughs> and you've got love, right? So let's unpack a little bit about that so we can bring in because the one that I just mentioned relates to the R of fear. Yeah. So with, yeah, he totally does. Thank you for that tee up. Um, So we're moving from fear to love and fear. We have this cycle, this pattern that we're going through where we're forcing, trying to push something like make it happen. Uh, And then we move into this stage of exhaustion where it's like we're forcing, we're pushing. And then it's like, up. I'm falling apart. I'm exhausted. And then we move into avoidance, right? Like, oh, I'm tired. Now I'm just going to avoid the thing. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to try to work on it. And then we get into this place of rigidity in the R where it's we're stuck. I made this plan. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And you just keep banging your head against the door, trying to just like do the same thing. And that's that being able to be more agile, flexible, our productivity and creativity is very nuanced and it's also very 
self-awareness is needed in that process of, okay, this isn't working. So we actually have to do a little bit of reflection of what's working, what's not working, what might we do differently, like a retrospective, um, and moving from this season of fear into love, which is about uh, the L-O-V-E is lead, optimize, visualize, and expand. And leading is about leading from the inside out, that we start with ourselves first and our intention, and then we move out to our families, to our community, then to our team, our business, our customers, our community, um, really looking at leadership from that perspective of leading from the inside out, and then optimize of how do we optimize our time, our energy, our output in a way that honors where we are in our lives and our responsibilities. And then visualize is about having a vision and creating an actual plan to take action, imperfect action, visionary action to really align those. And then we go into expand, which is really about deepening and being able to take things to the next level on your own terms. I love that. And if you're like most authors, um, just using that that shift from fear to love, the book itself was a teacher or in a catalyst or, you know, um, a prompt about those sort of things. Um, and so I'm curious, um, of both fear and love, which are the components that are the most challenging for you? Like on the fear side, like the ones where you'll mm. get stuck, we each have a like, oh, that's the one. Yeah. And then on the love side of the one that it's like, that's the one it takes the most. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say fortitude because that's going to say that's going to invoke the wrong model, but it's just hardest to slide into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for me with fear avoidance, I, I'm, I have an avoidant attachment style in general. So when I get overwhelmed or flooded, I freeze and I just don't do anything. So I have to be in a really intentional and also practical relationship with my to-do list because I can, it, you know, it's a bottomless mimosa of a to-do list. It's never ending. And so there's maybe every two months where I'm like, yeah, I cleared a lot of stuff. I'm feeling good and spacious. And then next week it's like, nope, rebuild, rebuild. And so um, that's the piece that I have to be very intentional with what I'm saying yes to day by day, week by week. And I'm, and I'm, I don't have a lot of rigidity on when and how things get done. I, I, I am paying attention to my energy. Um, and also, you know, women, if you have a menstrual cycle, there's also our energy flows on a monthly basis, not on a 24 hour cycle, but more like a 28 day cycle. So I have to also I ask my clients, I'm like, what day are you on in your cycle right now? Because if you're questioning your business and you want to like throw it away, it might just be because you're in week four of your cycle. You know, you never know. So it's just like kind of paying attention to your natural rhythm and energy. So for me, avoid. Like I just won't do anything. I will watch all the shows and just get into my moment, talk to all my friends, distractions, easy. Um, on the love side, I'm trying to think of what, um, because I, I build the book out, you know, through that, the, the, those are the four parts of the book. And I'm really trying to think of which one um, kind of takes the most effort for me to dive into. Cause I'm like, Mm. I haven't, I'm really thinking about it in this moment. Lead, optimize, visualize, expand. Maybe it's, I'm like, I'm great at all of these things. This is what's coming for me, but it's, it's not true. And so I think the, the lead part in that I talk about the visioning and setting the vision you know, your future vision of like, what are you wanting to create and build in the next three years? And if I don't come back to the vision of setting the vision and intention of what I want to build and create in my ideal world, I will lose focus. I will lose steam. I will lose, I will forget why I started the thing in the first place. So I need to come back from like, why am I doing this? And if I lose sight of that, 
and I don't reconnect with that on a more consistent basis, I will just be doing for the sake of doing. And I will start comparing myself to other people's business models and get really confused on like, what's my true essence and what I'm trying to create and build. So not to lose sight of the vision. I am very motivated by vision. I'm not motivated by actually metrics and drivers of success, the external things, but I can forget how much vision drives me to be really intentional of what am I trying to create and build? What do I want? And then build my scaffolding from that place versus what everyone says you should be doing if you're running a business. I love that. When you said avoiding, I was going to guess it was going to be lead or vision. Um, partially because with the lead, like at a certain point, like it can become about hard conversations, Mm -hmm. um, and changing and negotiating with folks that, that, that are, you know, we're in different relationships that get equilibrium and things like that. And so to really take things a different direction, going to have to have those conversations and those Mm -hmm. can be hard. And so that was my guess, but it's interesting that you went, my second one was going to be fee. And my hypothesis there, just because I've seen this enough with my clients and the women in our audience, is it takes a lot of um, courage and confidence and feeling worthy and good enough to really say, this is my dream. This is what I want. This is my desire, separate from what else is going on, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's really easy to get caught in the whirlwind of relationships and the day-to-day and everything like that to forget that underneath that is actually this person who is not also in relationship with everybody else that has her own wants and needs and things like that. And I'm not trying to say that we can decompartmentalize ourselves in that way because we're all and creatures. Yeah. Right. But it's super easy to lose yourself in this, in the sea of other people's priorities and and projects and to be like, Oh, this, that was my thing. That was their thing. My thing, their thing. And I think I'm on the opposite spectrum of that because I, my ambition and my dreams and desires, I'm like, yes, I know exactly what I'm building, creating, what I, what I want to do next. And so for me, it's almost like I have to schedule the time with the people that I say matter to me or to my body. Like I have to treat those like an appointment because my work can overflow around that. And there's a little bit of guilt and tension for women who are caregivers and also ambitious of like, oh, I love my work. I'm a little bit obsessive with it. It's a great escapism, actually. And so I actually have to put more fortitude um, and tension into my personal relationships and well-being because that's what will take the back burner because that, cause there's, there's a justification for my ambition. Like this is providing livelihood for our family. And also I'm getting a lot of validation and like, Jada, you changed my life. And I come home and it's like, do the laundry wash the dishes, like all of that. So it's the the mundane pieces of life that I have to like keep being invited and pulled back into. So I'm, I'm a little bit on the opposite spectrum. I love to dream and vision and take action on my ideas. And I have to pull myself back into like life daily, the mundane moments of living. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's just the double bind that, that women especially get in, that you're too something. Like you're either mm-hmm. too ambitious or you're too like deferent to your family. Like there's some two, right? Yeah. That either you get told externally yeah, or you, you, you self-narrate. I'm too ambitious and that's a problem, right? Yeah. Um, and so on and so forth. When it's just like, what, like if you were not in your body, in your way, yeah. in our society, um, you'd be like, great, you're great at your job and you've decided to focus around that and your family supports that and that's okay. Some of us yeah. get to do that and some of us don't as easily. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important for us to also see the too muchness, but also then the not enoughness. Like they mm-hmm. they are cousins and hang out with each other. And so it's too much of this and I'm not doing enough of that. Super easy to fall into for all of us, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't help when you have a society that's pushing extra to-dos on you as well. Um, mm. mm-hmm. So I'm curious, um, looking at your either what's in She Builds or just your body of work, what's the growth edge for you in this moment? Mm. 
The growth edge for me right now is being with the book and that creative process, which I'm telling you, I love and I would like the privilege to get paid to write more books for the rest of my life. Like if all I had to do was a write a book every three years and lead retreats with inspiring people, I would be so lit up. And I called that season my creative cocoon, where I was doing a lot of healing through grief, a lot of loss um, in my family and kind of processing and using the pandemic as a cocoon for me to heal and kind of protect my time and creative energy. And I really loved it. My little introvert self loved it. And now this next season is about for me that I'm naming it emergent expression. And I'm struggling with that throttle to be out in the world to share the work and the healing and all the things I've been doing over the last few years. It's felt a lot safer to kind of be behind. And so, you know, I'm in that that space of like, oh my gosh, people are going to read this. They're going to have an opinion. I'm going to get a one-star review at some point. So just all of all of the criticism, peers, that just fear of, of like, what will people think? And it comes back to like, will people love me, like me, accept me, um, be transformed? And so I'm in that delicate dance of really kind of on the tightrope of like, I want to share this work. And also I just want to like be in my creative cocoon again. I know all too well how that feels. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, So as the guest on today's um, podcast, you get to leave our listeners with either a challenge or an invitation, depending upon which one most resonates with you. So based upon what we've talked about, what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do within the next week? Yeah, so I would actually invite people to define their enough number, like really define what is enough for you. And that can really help us kind of move out of the hustle culture because when we know what is enough for ourselves and we define that for ourselves and not use culture and society to define that for us, we can move through our lives and our body of work in a more intentional way, but you need to know you're enough, like run the numbers, run the calculations. This is actually something, a conversation we had with our mutual friend, Scott Densmore, that Mm -hmm. he had with an elder was like, what is enough? And the only person who has that answer key is you, like what is enough for you? So that would be my invitation to go run the numbers, do the math. I have my enough number And that helps me also throttle with my ambition of like, do I really need to like 10x or even 2x? Like I have enough and I can slow down and I can take my foot off the pedal and make some more intentional strategic decisions on on my pace. So define your enough, whatever that is for you. It might be an amount of money. It could be just enough in how much output you're doing on social media, whatever that is. But Whatever you're struggling with, define what enough is for you and move from that place and how you make decisions. I love that. Thanks so much for joining us, Jada. And I look forward to seeing um, the next story that you write to. Mm, thank you for holding that vision for me. I appreciate it. All right, listeners. So you heard it from Jada. What's your enough number? So I'm going to build on this just a little bit. Really listen to that internal voice that says whatever that enough is. And then the second question I'm going to ask you is, what do you need to do to give yourself permission for that to be enough? Until next time, stand tall and start finishing. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, We'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.